Ephesians 4. One through uh, twenty-four. Yes. Oh. It says, "I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called." How many of you know that if you're in this room right now and you're inside of Christ, that there's a calling with which you've been called? That you have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And now he's not only called you out of it, but he's called you up out of it and called you up into himself and said, now walk worthy of this calling. What is this calling but to be painted with the shed blood of Jesus Christ? That we would walk worthy of the shed blood of Jesus. This is the calling Paul's speaking of. I've called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. What did you pass through to enter the light? You pass through the sheep gate. You pass through Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one cometh to the Father except through me. This is that calling. And Paul is saying, let us walk worthy of it. That looks like something. Then he goes on to expound. He says, what does that look like? He says in verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness. Jesus said, take of my yoke and learn of my ways. For I am meek and lowly of heart, gentleness, reserved strength, humility, (laughs) with long suffering. Then it says this, bearing with one another in love. Do you know what that word bearing means? It means to tolerate. And we're not here to to condemn nor nor point fingers or accuse. Uh, that's totally not our heart. I know last week we dealt on some issues of what the church has gotten wrong and what they've gotten right, really where we want to go as we're laying the really the foundational heart of our community here. It's really what we're doing. And God's grafting into our hearts and us one another this foundation. The foundation is laid by the apostles and the prophets. It says a church that's built on a foundation outside of an apostolic and prophetic ministry is built outside of God's perfect plan. See, when God decided to build his church, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the way I'll do it is through the ministry of the apostle and the prophet. It's built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And what we're doing now is we're laying that that foundation. It says bearing with one another in love. To tolerate is what bearing means right there. It's to to tolerate. And it's, it's interesting to me because for so long, the church has, has, has really done the opposite. And they've said, what we tolerate is our model. And if you don't look like us, walk like us, and talk like us, then you're not us. But really, it's not us you should be looking like, it's Jesus. That's what he's saying. Walk worthy of the calling when which you were called. Here's the things he's, he's concerned with. Lowliness, gentleness, and long-suffering. And then tolerate one another. Like, that means that there's some things in me that you've got to tolerate. Because if, if I didn't have need of your toleration, the Holy Spirit through Paul wouldn't have penned it. Mm. And so that means that you have some things in you that I'm called to tolerate. To look past whether I agree with it. And now I'm not talking about blatant open sin. That's not what we're talking about. But you know, sometimes people are, they just annoy you. Certain things they do. 
<laughs> it's just the truth. Certain personalities. My wife and I watched this survivalist show the other night, and these two people, they was not tolerating each other. They had to go. He's like, I can't stand you. She's like, I can't stand you. You're such a beep. You know, and I'm like, whoa. We got to go, you know. But it's, it's to tolerate in love. In love. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So not only do are we called to tolerate one another, but we're called to tolerate one another well. In love. He didn't just say, you know, many of people say, well, I've got to love you, but I don't have to like you. What a lie from the pit of hell. Tolerate, bear with... That means your faults, your shortcomings, the rough edges that have yet to be smoothed, bear with one another in love. Then it goes on and says this, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring here in the Greek is toi reo or te reo if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And what this means is to keep, guard, it means to observe, to properly maintain, to spiritually guard, to keep intact, to keep in custody like a child, to nurture it and go with the flow. To endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit that like a child I'm to keep in custody the unity of one another that I bear you up I bear your shortcoming up I bear those things with you for what to steward that like a child to watch it nurture it to grow it does it need a drink of water does it need food what does it need here but not only do I tolerate now I nurture you and I go beyond toleration, and I actually now partake in your development in Christ, and which is what? The unity of the Spirit. We're one. Our bondedness in Christ, if you will, our oneness in Christ, the unity of the Spirit, the community, the fellowship that we were just talking about. To tolerate and keep in custody like a child. The unity of the spirit in the bond of the peace. Uh, brother uh, Jack Hayford says this. He says, the, unit, the, power, the unity of the spirit, the power of unity, spiritual unity was so much a part of the life and teaching of the early church that the apostle Paul assumed the presence of such unity. That literally as he's pinning this, he assumes it's already there. He's not just pinning it saying, hey, do it. He's assuming they're already practicing it. In this passage, he instructs us to do everything possible to keep or preserve, to keep in custody, the unity of the spirit. The assumption appears to be that spiritual unity is the norm within the church. And would you say that we have done this well as a whole? But this is the you would say that this is the norm. But he's saying this 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 is what God's original intent and purpose for the body of Christ. It says this is the norm. And again, we're not pointing fingers. We're just we're dealing with religious spirits here. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. That Paul said, I take captive every thought that exalts yes. itself up against yes. the knowledge of God. It says, in the last days they'll be led away, many of them believing demonic doctrines, <laughs> doctrines of demons. The assumption appears to be that spiritual unity is the norm within the church when its members live under the control of the Holy Spirit. I think that's so key there. It says when they live under the control of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think of, uh, I think of when, when people give authority and influence to leaders in the church 
And I, my experience has been that there's these times where you're like, man, brother, should we like give them influence right now? Like, I don't know what's, what's going to happen. Is there, you know, are they going to lead people away? Is there going to be a church split? Are they going to rise up? Are they a better preacher than I am? Are they more anointed than I am? And they're going to, they're going to take my people from me. But you know, we don't see that in the early church that, that literally Peter brought brought in all these these men to be deacons in the church. You know what, what story I'm talking about? There was a need with the widows and, and they weren't getting ministered to. And the Greek uh, widows are like, well, but the Jewish widows are getting treated better than us. And, and Peter's like, yeah, but we really need to focus on like the word and, and, and worship and prayer. Like we need to devote ourselves to prayer and the word. So what we're going to do is we're going to appoint these dudes and they're going to do it. And they slap this anointing and this grace and this position on these men. Now, do you ever read in scripture where they got bent out of shape when all of a sudden God starts doing crazy miracles through the lives of Stephen and Philip? So much so that Philip's getting transported by the spirit that we never see it being recorded that Peter got transported by the spirit. Do you see Peter coming in and trying to squash down what God's doing in their life? No, not at all. Because they were led by the Spirit. They were not worried about what it looked like. They were worried about what is God saying. And we know that God affirms people through what? What does God affirm? What is the evidence of God's affirmation on a person? It's not gifts. Fruit. There's character. The Bible says that God affirmed Jesus Christ of Nazareth through the working of signs and of wonders. That if that's what God affirmed Jesus through, and we see God affirming, we see God, if not a character is so important, don't get me, because there's those that do false signs, and we won't get into that. Mm-hmm. For the sake we're talking about within the context of the church in the body. Yes. Okay, we're not talking about faults. We're assuming that they're walking in character, right? And so because we're assuming they're a member growing in unity, the bond of peace. So you know, the bond of unity in peace. So, so you see God affirming Stephen and Philip in such a way through crazy signs and wonders. I mean, crazy signs and wonders. And I love it because the only record you have then is celebration of the work when, when Peter and John come into the town and lay their hands on the people and they start receiving the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Showing that even the mighty man of God out there doing signs and wonders still needed other members of, of the body. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so it says, it says, Therefore it is very serious matter to cause division among God's people. In fact, Paul instructed the church to warn a divisive person twice and then reject him if he does not repent. That's in Titus 3, 9 through 11. Man, think about that. To warn the divisive person twice and if they don't repent, reject them. Like that was early church standards. That's pretty, that's pretty heavy. That, that'll cause the fear of God to come on you real quick when you start speaking out against God's kids. When you start putting your mouth on your brother or sister behind their back, the fear of God, man, I could be rejected from the fellowship because of this. Like, that's serious. It goes on and says, spiritual unity is at the very heart of the Christian faith and the life of Christ's church. This is the heart. In this letter to the Ephesian, uh, Ephesian church, Paul presents one of the most significant statements on spiritual unity shared anywhere in the Bible. He contends that in the church of Jesus Christ, there is only one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I'm going to go ahead and and read that. He says it in the next verse. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Again, you were called into one body, not I attend the church on the corner. I attend the white church on that street. I attend the big church on that building. One body. I attend the Catholic church. I attend a Methodist church. I attend Baptist church. No, one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. What is that calling again? Into the blood of Jesus, washed clean, 
one Lord. Not your spiritual leader. Who I mean, you're wise to listen to them. I mean, it just makes sense. Why would God raise them up? He, he felt. So it makes sense to live. But that's not your Lord. One Lord. One Master. One faith. I put my tr trust and hope in Jesus Christ alone. I don't have another option. There's no plan B. It's Him and His way. Again, my faith in Him and His way because He's my Lord. So there's one Lord, not just my Savior, but the ruler of my life. So my trust is in Him. There's only one way, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. I love that because He says, Father of all. And He brings it back to unity. He brings it back into that bond of unity that we're a family. That we have the same Father. That Jesus said, my brothers and my sisters are the ones that do the will of the Father. Then he says, who is above all and through all and in you all. That he's in you. You're the dwelling place of God. Verse 7. It says, but to each, I want, I want to take a pause here and just encourage you to, when you're reading the Bible, it's so good to, to meditate upon Scripture. And I believe in, in biblical, biblical meditation is this. This is like a side pause comma. Biblical meditation is this. It's filling your mind with the Word. Okay, worldly meditation is I, I shove it out and I empty my mind and I clear myself. But biblical meditation, which is good. See, the enemy only counterfeits God. So biblical meditation is good, but it's actually the filling of oneself with the word. So how they would meditate in, in Hebrew, in that culture, is they would take one scripture and they'd say it over and over and over and over again. So it'd be like, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have an everlasting life. And it actually moved back and forth like this. And they say it over and over and over and over and over again. So I agree, it is good to meditate upon the word, to find a good scripture like, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you'll gain favor with God and man. And meditate upon that. What does that mean, being kind? What does that mean? Be like, that's good. I get it. But when you're reading scripture and you're, you're understanding theology and doctrine and picture of God, like, don't stop just because it says in verse 7 above it in my Bible, spiritual gifts. And it separates that. Like, you have to read the full statement of what the author is saying to get the full picture. And so often we've been taught to stop. Even sometimes the chapters don't end the statement. Many times the statement runs into the next chapter. But anyway, I'm going to uncom or whatever. Another comma, moving on. Verse 7. Yeah, I need to ask Chris or something. But, uh, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. This grace, yes, unmerited favor. But the true definition of grace is divine power. It's ability you do not have outside of God. It's I, I couldn't do it if God didn't allow me to do it, right? By grace I'm saved, the free gift of God. Couldn't do it without what Jesus did. It says, but to each one of us, say each one, each one. of us, grace was given. So you have grace, right? Yes. Because God's not a man that he should lie. Right. To the, according to the measure of what Christ has given to you, it's saying. Therefore, he says, this is talking about Jesus, when he ascended on high and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And before I go on to this next verse, we understand that what I'm about to read, this is talking about Jesus. We know that God is three persons, Father, Son, Spirit. I know we all believe that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but this is specifically Jesus. And it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, mm -hmm. some prophets, mm -hmm. some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. I'm going to pause right there. I'm going to explain real quick because I almost went there last week. Um, the apostle is a sent one. That's what that means. 
you know, when Paul says, and how can they hear if uh, someone does not preach? And how can someone preach if they've not been sent? It's the same thing. Jesus actually said it of himself in John chapter 12 and 49 when he said, I don't speak on my own, but the Father who sent me, I speak on his behalf. Jesus is the great apostle. He says it of himself. He chose apostles. That word in the Roman language, what that meant was, how many of you know that Jesus could have chose any word to choose? He could have chose rabbi, teacher, whatever, but he chose apostles. It wasn't even a Hebrew word. It was a Roman word, and he chose it. And what that word meant was it was an officer within within the Roman government that what he did is after a king went and conquered a land, that person was sent from the king to go in and bring in all different kind of things that affect culture, art, teaching, all the different things that would infect, affect culture and bring it from the kingdom he was from into the conquered land and cause that place to look like the land in which he was sent from so that when the king of that land would come in, it would look like the place he came from. So think of this. Jesus chose this word to call his apostles because they were called and equipped to go out and to conquer and take the land and make it look like heaven so when Jesus comes back, he finds it looking like heaven to take the realities of that kingdom and usher them into this world. That's the word he chose to call his apostles. And so a lot of times they will start new works. They will go into an area. They will be sent. I truly believe there's many people that can, uh, they'll argue with you, but I believe a true apostle has to have seen the risen Lord. Um, I just, that's my personal belief from what I've read in scripture. Uh, Paul said, have I not? And then he goes on to list those that have uh, the least. And, and he said, have I not? When he would give the evidence of his apostleship, he would say things like, have I not seen the risen Lord? Uh, and so that also that God confirms them, affirms them through signs and wonders, healings, different things like that. God will affirm them. But usually they're sent to, to start uh, works and lay the foundation um, many people call them modern day missionaries a lot of times, but honestly, that's, that's just a, a, one of the functions that they can do. Cause again, we see it in the life of Paul and you have prophets Pro and they're, again, they're really concerned with building the kingdom and structure and community and family. And what does that look like? And again, heaven's culture, they're really focused in on culture. And then you see the prophet and the prophet is really like, what is God saying? Which way are we going? What is God saying? I got to hear from God. So they're always worried about what's God saying? What's God doing? I need to hear his voice. I need to see a vision. I need to have a dream. I need to do this. What is God saying? I need now often an apostolic ministry can usually will manifest the fullness of Christ, which is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I mean, you know, Jesus was the best apostle, the best prophet, the best pastor, the best teacher, all of that, the best evangelist. So when, you, when those people are manifesting these gifts, they're manifesting aspects of the person of Christ. And so that apostle usually carries some aspect of all of that and will manifest them at different times when needed. But again, the prophet is hearing God. This is where they're going. This is what God's saying. They'll also train and equip release people into prophetic gifts. Then you have evangelists who is really focused on souls, the fear of the Lord, Lord repentance, holiness, walk upright in the Lord. Uh, primary for most of my life and calling, I have operated in an evangelistic call. It's just what, and again, I'm not sharing this to say, look at me, here's this. I'm sharing to give you because it's, it's what I've walked in and experienced. I have operated in that prophetic role when, um, you know, I, when it's needed and I've stepped into it, even I would say most recently uh, at Awaken Yo, when, when I would be there in, in that role, I really function in a role, a prophetic sense where I would hear and release a word for the house or for the season or for the city and things would just begin to shift and break. Um, but evangelistically, primarily where souls, power, demonstrates, and you see it in Philip, the evangelist who's traveling around, signs and wonders, people are souls, you know, crazy stuff's happening, but but primarily, again, souls and the apostles would come in. They'd lay their hands and then they'd start building community. Baptism of the Holy Spirit would come. You, you see how the kingdom was working together. Uh, and then you have teacher, obviously, which is what I'm doing right now. I'm teaching. Uh, and then a pastor is really worried about, um, you know, just the sake and the health of, of the sheep. And, and counseling's one of the primary roles of a pastor. So many of you know that. But I just wanted to give get you, you know, in... 
um, I guess my my perspective uh, personally uh, as far as here um, I have uh, I was in my prayer time and uh, and it had been prophesied years that you know we were called to apostolic ministry and uh, and just for years but personally and just just for you guys again for the sake of sharing kind of the journey because I just believe it'll begin to, to bust things open and loose things open as we go. Um, but uh, for me, it was prophesied for years and years and years that, you know, um, we've been called to this apostolic ministry and I just wouldn't touch it. Um, just mainly because I hadn't had a lot of leaders call that out. I've been mainly just prophetic words from people, you know, and so you don't always take those things and just sell your house and go with them. You know, you test Paul said, test all spirits, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. test all things. And okay. so I just put it on the shelf and, you know, wait. And next thing you know, that thing just fall off the shelf and hit me in the head. You know, there are times God speaks and you just, you got to move. But, but this is destiny. This is like life altering, life changing things. And so um, <clears throat> about in 2010, I had come out of a uh, preaching and I fell into a trance and the Lord walked up to me and put a mantle on me. Like I was up in heaven and. I was in a trance, just like Peter fell into. Uh, we read, I think it's Acts chapter four. Um, for when he goes to to minister to Cornelius, he falls into a trance. And he sees a thing come down. So I fell into a trance. I saw the Lord, and so um, again, you know, had leader a leaders then begin to call it out, but still just wouldn't touch it. And then um, actually, Brian started calling it out uh, in my life, and I said, "Okay, Lord, well, here's what I believe your word says." Um, is evidence. And then we started seeing signs and wonders start breaking out in our ministry. Um, not just when we were around Brian, but in our own, you know, and started to see it. And I was like, okay, well then one day I was in prayer and I actually got caught up and went up into heaven and was before the throne. And I saw Jesus and he looked at me and he smiled and he kind of stepped to the side. And when he did, I saw the father sitting on the throne and his face shone like the sun. And he said, I'm now sending you to Youngstown. He said, you're sent go. And so for me, my commission didn't come from man. It just, it came from heaven. And so like, I encourage you guys, those of you that are like waiting, like what, what is God saying? What is God calling to me? Like he will make it very clear. It just may not be in the timing and the way that you want it. Just wait on God. But then when he speaks, then you go. And then we actually had, even after that encounter, which is so the amazing thing of God is he's so faithful to his word. He began to speak and, uh, and call out and, and confirm even through other prophets and things in a public setting um, of what he had called us to. And so uh, anyway, I just want to encourage you with that. Like Jesus gives those gifts. You don't get to choose, you know, like, well, I, the, I really like the prophet gifts. So I want to be a prophet. You don't get to choose. I, I thought I would be, you know, evangelist preaching. Uh, you know, I was pretty confident in that and okay with that. But, you know, and there's still that aspect there. But Jesus chooses, you know, you don't get to choose. Uh, so he gives uh, apostles, prophets. And why does he give them? The next verse. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What is equipping? It's to assist in strengthening and maturing into the fullness of Christ. That's what that word equipping means means it implies a bringing of wholeness how do you know we need all the five all every every one of the fivefold gifts we need them within this body we need them operating in the church at large if if god has jesus has truly gifted because there's many people out there that call themselves an apostle or or this or that or a prophet or put this name uh, name tag and you know I'm prophet so so I'm apostle so so who Jesus never called I'm not talking about them and I'm not trying to find fault with them but they're they are faults you know and the Bible says in, in Revelations Jesus says to the church says and you tested those who claim to be apostles and found them to be false and so there are that they don't have the confirming things that we know that scripture says they're just not and it, it may they might be not be evil some may but they may not be evil they just, somebody has put that title on them or slapped that anointing on them and said, oh, you're this, and they're really not, and God's not backing that up. And so, um, anyway, but the ones that he has given, when he really gives a fivefold minister to the church, 
we should never, even if maybe we're not as drawn to that ministry, ever say that we don't need them. Because if Jesus himself gave it to the body then he th- and you're in the body, then he thought you needed it. And so to say I don't need it is to, is to say my judgment's better than God's. And I know what I need better than God knows. And so what some of you may, may be more drawn to a teacher or an apostle or a prophet, whatever, God draws you, that's cool. And that may actually speak a lot to what your calling is when you notice that. But at the same time, don't neglect the rest of the gifts of God. Like cherish them, honor them, because, because Jesus actually gave it because he saw a need. And these are not gifts that should be lorded over people. They're servants of all, really. You know, the world works on a pyramid that's like this. The kingdom works like this, and it's a funnel sucking heaven to earth, but it only works upside down. And that means that the greatest of these is serving everyone else. And, and so don't ever let anybody, like, lord it over you. For the equipping of the saints to assist in strengthening uh, and maturing into the fullness of Christ. Then it says this, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The Greek word for equipping, again, implies a recovered wholeness as when a broken limb is set and mends. It's a discovered function as when a physical member is properly operating. So literally, these gifts are called to come in and place the members of the body. Raise your hand if you're in the body of Christ. The members of the body in their proper place as a bone being set. So if something is broken and out of place, the the religious spirit is at play, Uh, a thought that is exalting itself up against the knowledge of God, a Mm -hmm. demonic doctrine, their call, their role, is to come in and reset those bones and put them back into the place. Mm -hmm. That's what what the scripture is saying. Equipping. I, I never realized this. I've never heard that before until I read this and, uh, and studied out the Greek. So I don't know, maybe you've heard that, but I've never ever heard that before. Uh, it also, the work of the ministry is the enterprise of each member of the body of Christ and not the exclusive charge of select leaders. Taken together reveals that the task of the gifted leader is to cultivate the individual and corporate ministries of those he or she leads. Do you know what that means? That means it's not about the man of power for the hour. That means it's about the leader of the church or leaders, those coming in and saying, here, get on my shoulders and let me launch you into what God's called you into. Let whatever God's given me be an advantage. Let me train you. Let me equip you. Let me take you everything that I have been given and give it all away. Go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils, raise the dead. Freely you have received, freely you give. Not that I that leaders or whoever it is needs to be the person that is always speaking, that is always ministering, that is always in the forefront, that all of a sudden you need 10,000 people to come sit under one person. How arrogant and prideful can you be? Not that those churches are evil. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not attacking them. I'm not pointing fingers here. But the body of Christ needs many more than one person. We need, we need each other. Then it goes on and says, it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith. So that means that these ministries will be active and this whole process will be coming on until we all come into the unity faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal, that we would manifest the person of Christ in our lives, that we would show a mature Christ, a mature bride in our lives. That's the process. That's the goal. The end goal is that Christ would be shown in you and I. And guess what? We can't get there without each other. That's what it said. Paul literally, we so read and get in, and I did. I dealt with a lot of the theology and stuff just because we're laying foundation on what apostle is, prophet. I, I did address all that. But so many of that, we teach this part of the section void of the first thing that we, we read, endeavoring, tolerate, bearing with one another in love, tolerating each other, and endeavoring, keeping custody like a child, the unity and the spirit and the bond of peace. This is what Paul's talking about. All of this is part of that. 
that when we're functioning, when the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher are functioning in their roles and empowering the body, not enslaving them, empowering them to operate and, and do what God's called them to do, then we're all benefiting and we're all maturing in Christ. It's actually the only way that will become that spotless and blemishless bride that Christ is returning for. Because of the unity of the Spirit. In the bond of peace. How? By the apostolic ministry. By the prophetic ministry. By the pastoral ministry. By the teaching ministry. By the evangelist ministry. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just the five. It, then it goes on and it says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So really the work of the ministry is not even getting done until the saints are equipped. No one's in place until that happens. The pastor's not called to get everybody saved. You know why people kept getting saved left and right in the early church? Because everybody was witnessing and it took God touching somebody like Todd White and getting radical and, you know, shaking the church with that truth for us to start being mobilized and moved out. And so many people are walking around not practicing, not tolerating each other, not endeavoring to keep the unity of peace, not building up one another, not walking worthy of the call, but so stuck in sin and bound and ashamed and fearful to come and expose what they're going through and allow this thing to take place, the resetting of the bone within the body because the leaders can't be trusted because you know they're going to go gossip or do this or do that. And again, I'm not pointing finger, I'm dealing with a spirit here. And, and, and this, these things take place and then what you have is you have this crippled, beat up, hurt body that is not doing any work of the ministry. They're literally limping, the church literally limping around, not making true impact, and you have a room full of dead people. When you should have a people full of the maturity and the fullness of Christ. That in you dwells the fullness of Christ. The fullness of the Godhead, it says. Let's go on. It says, then in 14, here... Here is the evidence of immaturity, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning, craftiness, and deceitful plotting. Can I tell you how many people switch doctrines left and right? Look at how many different beliefs and theologies and things. I mean, look at the denominations. It's happened. Why did it happen? Well, you can't figure out why it happened until you go back and read all everything we just read. read. The lack of that resulted in what we see now. That people are blown away. They're letting all kinds of evil into the church. That now we can touch horoscopes. Now we can, oh, it's okay. You know, you go watch that horror movie where they're casting spells. It's, magic's not evil. You know, just Jesus said, clear it out of your land. You know what your land is? Your heart and your home. Jesus said, clear it out. But it's okay. We can go touch these things and acceptable because, you know, the power of Christ and you're just, you're safe. You're okay. When Jesus said, you're healed, go and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. But speaking the truth in love, and that, that's just what happened. Just now. May grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Love void of truth is no love at all. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Every joint supplies. We're not, we can't do it alone. We need each other. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. None of this is possible without everyone being a part. I need you. You need each other. We need each other. There are gifts and callings and anointing and grace on your life that I'm in desperate need of. You carry breakthrough that I need. We're not an island unto ourselves. Unity in spirit. 
it, this causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. There is a place, I'm telling you, there's a place, and I believe we're going there. There is a place where the church is mature. The church is mature and, and it begins to edify itself. That we begin naturally led by the Spirit like, like Brother Hayford was talking about. Led by the Spirit in the unity of Spirit where naturally just in conversation we begin edifying each other. That just doing life, when we're healthy, when you're healthy and I'm healthy and you're seeking Jesus on your own in private and you're actually coming to this body with something to give and I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here a little bit but, but for the sake of time. Uh, are we good? Is everybody good? We good? Okay. So probably another 10 minutes and I'll, I'll, I'll be down. But we're good. I don't want to. Okay. So what happens is instead of us walking in like broken bones. And again, this is not like I need to measure up. That's not what this is saying. But instead of us walking into the, into the church, into the fellowship, like broken bones needing reset. We're actually coming in with something to give. <clears throat> that I'm coming in full of him. And he's exuding from my being. And I'm contributing to the body. And by that simple fact, that simple truth, I'm walking worthy of my calling. By that simple truth, you're now able to be ministered to just through relationship. Just through fellowship. By the leading of the Spirit. That when Andrew and I talk, he may be going some, through something and just in our conversation, that thing just breaks off his life and goes. Mm -hmm. And what he needed to hear just comes out of my mouth like honey. Mm -hmm. Because we're so in tune with the Spirit and one another and in transparency. And he knows that when he comes to me, he's not going to get judgment, but he's going to get truth and love. And that he knows that I tolerate him and that I have custody of this unity of ours like a little child. That I'm going to nurture it. That no matter what comes out of his mouth, he can trust me. Not to tear him down, but to build him up. That if he does have a broken bone, I can help him and reset it. And you can help him and reset it. And then guess what? You're strengthened even in his resetting. That's what this just said. from which the whole body joined and knit together by which every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I wrote this, become one who contributes out of your own relationship with him, with Jesus. Then it says this. Here's, here's, here's how. So we said all the things we need to be doing. Here's how. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. This is sin. This is the things of the world. Gentiles, when you read it in scripture, like, yeah, we are technically all Gentiles because we're not Hebrew. But when you read Gentiles in scripture, what... Paul's actually writing to Gentiles. He's saying, no longer walk as the Gentiles. What is he saying? Gentiles are like uncircumcised. You hear the Bible talk about uncircumcised Philistines, those, those that are outside of God's covenant. That is the only racial separation, racial divide within the Bible is either you're God's or you're not. We talked about this last week. You know, you're either, that's the only separation God has. And here's Paul reaffirming that, saying it again. Don't walk like them. If you come to my house and there's cigarette smoke and there's music where there's cussing and there's like booty dancing stuff going on and I'm getting smashed drunk on liquor, I look just like the bar. I'm walking the same way the Gentiles walk. You can take Gentiles out and put unsaved. Like you will not find in my phone, you will not find the same music that the world listens to. Mm -hmm. by choice 
Because I don't want my life to look like that. You say, well, I, brother, I'm, I'm covered in the blood and I can do this and I can do that. Sure, you maybe. Can you? You know, the problem with being deceived is you don't know that you're deceived. I'm telling you what, the more I've walked to Christ, the more, the more closer I've walked with Christ, the more he's cut out of my life, the more he's pruned, the less and less and less. And thing. I used to love playing video games. Was there anything inherently evil with video games? No, but it was sucking my time with the Lord. And I got to a place in my life where it was play video games for an hour or spend time with the Lord. Which one? Because that's the only thing you got time for. And guess what died? The video game. Not because I didn't absolutely love it and enjoy it. I just loved him more. No longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Having their understanding darkened. Often we think we can do these things because our understanding is darkened. Did you know that you can sear your conscience? Did you know that? Did you know that's a real thing? That you can, God can tell you, don't listen to that. That's not good for you. Don't watch that. Get rid of that. And you can ignore his voice. And over time, that voice is, there's a searing of your conscience. What is right and wrong? The discernment of his voice. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Blindness of heart and ignorance isn't permission. There's no safety net in ignorance. You know how many people have taught that from a pulpit? Like, well, you didn't know any better. God knew your heart, brother. You're right. God knew your heart that it was super wicked and that Jesus needed to come and die for you. He did. He knew it. All of us have sinned and fallen short. Every one of us. He knew. And Paul's saying it right here. Don't walk like the unsaved walk because they don't. their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God. They don't understand the things of God. They're ignorant to it and they're blinded in their hearts. Who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. So there's the evidence that you, if you have lewdness, uncleanliness, and greediness going on, it tells you right here what you're doing. Somewhere you don't have understanding, your understanding is darkening, you're alienated from the life of God, there's ignorance and blindness of heart going on, and you're walking as a Gentile. If, if there's prolonged lewdness, uncleanliness, and greediness going on anywhere in your, it's just, there's the, these are the symptoms and the issue. Paul's laying it out for you. But you have not you have not so learned Christ. There's this false teaching going on now. It's like sloppy, agape, gooey grace, I call it. The blood of Jesus is enough. You, you know, the, there's, the grace of God covers it. Grace is power not to sin, not permission to sin. And he's saying it right here. You've not so learned Christ as to live ignorant and darken in this way. You've not learned him that way. And then he goes back and he says, and again, you've not learned Christ to not be in unity, to not understand that you need each other, to not tolerate one another, to not keep in custody like a child the unity of the Spirit. You've not learned Christ so. If, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. I love this. Because Paul is saying each believer can and must be taught by the Lord himself. This is the secret place. Paul said, you have no need of anyone to teach you because of the anointing. You know what the anointing is? It's the Holy Spirit. That you have an ability to hear God. The, the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, those are bonuses. Like, God chose to give you those bonuses. But at the end of the day, like, you have the Lord. You can learn from the Lord. So what's Paul saying? Even if you didn't have an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher teach you, the Lord can still teach you. Right? Because you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him, 
not a preacher. You heard him and were taught by him, which also donates that if I'm actually sent by him right now, this is him speaking, not me. It's, it's the same condemnation. condemnation. That's the gifts given. What he's, that's what he's saying, you know, teachers, if they're really called by God. But not again, not all of them are. <clears throat> that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, I... I God does it, and we have no hope other than grabbing the garment in the hem of Jesus. We have we have no no hope. But there's a choice. There's a choice to to do this. There's a choice to to live life the way that Jesus has said to live it. I've just laid out from last week, and I've laid out even today, uh, what Jesus uh, thought of when he thought of the church. Uh, I've laid out community to you. I've laid out, um, you know, what God is saying, I believe, to us and what he has been saying for 2,000 years. Uh, Fellowship and unity, to watch over it, to guard over it like a child. Let me tell you that my child, I'm not going to let someone come along and kidnap my child. You're not going to walk up to my child and snatch her away. I'm just going to tell you right now that I'm going to keep her in custody at all times and keep her safe. Everything I can do. And this is what God's calling us to do in the unity of the spirit. God's calling us. He's brought us here and he's brought us together because I believe that each one of us has a special, now I'm speaking prophetically. I believe each one of us has a special niche in our heart to see this thing lived out in real life. I don't know about you. I get faith and I will preach faith that I have not raised the dead and I will preach faith until I raise the dead. But I am tired of talking about it and not living it. Yeah. I am tired of hearing day verse week after week, sermon after sermon about what God can do and not seeing him do it. I'm convinced the doing the the lack the lack of seeing it has nothing to do with him. That that it's it's us doing it his way. That he could find a people that he can trust himself with. Because they're not interested in what makes the church grow, but they're interested in displaying the full measure of Christ. Success is not numbers and success is not ability. Success is that we walk and talk and look like Jesus.